The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network, GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Before we got started with our guest this week, Chris Aubeck, Tim and I were talking about AI. And the reason is that Tim has this robotic vacuum cleaner, which is very elementary, I assume. Or does it speak back to you? Uh, it doesn't speak back to me. It announces itself before it starts and when it finishes, but there's no interaction back and forth. That's that's done entirely through text, through your cell phone. Really elementary. It doesn't say, I'm sorry, Tim, but I cannot do that. <laughs> I could probably program it to do that and freak my wife and kid out. Oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> now then of course we'd have to go to the uk or something and see if we can do it with chris Aubeck. well chris is in spain so I, i'm oh, not quite you're sure. in spain yeah. oh you're in spain okay my son's in spain where in spain are you chris hi yeah i'm in um a town called badajoz which is um in extremadura very old and very pretty region, uh, slightly underdeveloped uh, economically and in every other way. But it's a wonderful place to live, to write, to do research. Yeah, come over whenever you want to. It's full of medieval ruins, and mm. it's also where the Templar Knights used to hang out back in the day. Ah, I'm old enough to remember them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously speaking, my son lives in Madrid. Mm -hmm. So how far is that from you? Well, um, it's about four hours from me. It's not too far. I, I spent 19 years living in Madrid. So, I mean, maybe I bumped into him at some point. They were really wonderful years. And uh, it was only because of the pandemic, actually, that I, I lost my job there. And um, I decided to live in a quieter area. These days, I give classes online, English classes. And everything seems to be going well. I mean, the difference. If you if you rent uh, an apartment in Madrid, it's about a thousand euros, one thousand two hundred. So it's about that. I think it's the same in dollars, more or less. Where I'm living now, it's three hundred and sixty euros. Mm. Well, I think so. I'm going to pack right now. <laughs> yeah, near I live near Phoenix, Arizona. You do not know. <laughs> what I pay for rent here. My son, he's lived in Madrid since 2008, and he does mm -hmm. English language stuff online. The same as me. Yes, his name is Grayson Steinberg. Mm -hmm. 
And if you ever encounter him, tell him That's you're going to send. That's an unforgettable name. If I if I come across that name, I'll definitely say hello. Yeah. Maybe you can send an alien artifact his way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chris has a couple of books I want to discuss, and each book is worth five shows. I've already read some of this, but this is great historical material. The first is Alien Artifacts, and the subtitle of it is The Forgotten Story of How We Came to Believe in Visitors from the Stars. And, of course, Ancient Aliens is something we all are interested in, but Chris has gone deeper into finding the sources. The other book is Saucers. Tracing the Origins of Disc-Shaped UFOs. And we learn in that a few things maybe we didn't know about the so-called, quote-unquote, first modern UFO sighting from Kenneth Arnold on June 24, 1947. Was it nine disc-shaped objects, nine ellipsoid objects, nine whatever? Hmm. You know, I wanted to just bring one thing up before we get started with the nitty-gritty here. You mentioned in your book, Chris, about Ray Palmer's association with Kenneth Arnold. Mm And evidently, Arnold was promised a fairly big amount of money for Mm -hmm. the early 1950s. And Palmer didn't pay him. What's going on there? Yeah, that's right. According to to the legend, and and according to um, the legend who is Jerome Clark, who I consulted before I published the book, and I spoke to Kim Arnold, um, Arnold's daughter. Yeah, um, Arnold was, uh, Kenneth Arnold was offered, I believe, uh, a a very large sum, thousands and thousands by uh, Doubleday in, in, in the 1950s or the late 1940s, perhaps, to publish his version of events. Um, it, would have, it would have changed his life. It was a substantial sum. But Ray Palmer, being the man that he was, uh, said, no, look, I have a much better idea. Let's write a book together. And that way you'll have more control over, the, over your version of the facts. And... Obviously, Palmer was a, a really good uh, writer. I mean, he, he deserves all the credit for for so many of these fascinating stories that he published and amazing stories and all, all of his magazines. So um, Arnold said, yeah, let's do it that way then. Let's make more money because that's what Palmer promised him. And, and of course, Kenneth Arnold was a businessman at heart. He'd started several uh, businesses, even um, a uranium business uh, at one point. Attracted to that offer, he, he published this with Palmer, and according to Arnold's family and what Arnold has said, uh, said himself to people like Jerome Clark back in the day, he didn't receive any money for it. Palmer just didn't didn't pay him or didn't give him his share. I don't know whether that's because the, the book didn't sell particularly well, whether Palmer just, um, his plan all along was to keep the money. I don't know. Pa- Ray Palmer was a very strange man. And um, <laughs> I don't know what his plans were. But, I mean... As John Keel said, um, well, John Keel said uh, Ray Palmer invented flying saucers for the world, which isn't true, of course. But it's true that he reinvented Kenneth Arnold because he had such a massive impact on him, his beliefs. uh, And obviously, uh, Palmer popularized the field of UFOs, of, of flying saucers. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I imagine that if it hadn't been for Ray Palmer these days, we wouldn't be talking about them right now. That's very likely. I knew Palmer slightly. I met him once in 1965, shows you how old I am. And I talked to him on the phone a few times. I even knew Richard Shaver, by the way. We visited his little cottage in Summit, Arkansas, where he and his wife, Dorothy, served us dinner. But they were frugal kind of people. They didn't have a lot of money, so the dinner was kind of bare. You know, maybe one step above the TV dinner, but they were just really, really nice people. And I did an interview with them, too. But Palmer is responsible for me continuing in this UFO field. Because in his magazine, Mm -hmm. Flying Saucers, which originally was Flying Saucers from Other Worlds because it descended from what started out as a sci-fi magazine, I guess to compete with Amazing. And they had a section called Saucer Club News, where people would announce their flying saucer clubs. Most of these people were teenagers like me. And I put my announcement in there for my little flying saucer club. And other people put their announcements. And I wrote back and forth to a few of them. And we ended up with Alan Greenfield. And we ended up with Jerome Clark. And lots of other really, really smart people who have become lifelong friends from Ray Palmer. So we have him to thank for that. I think also one problem with Palmer, and of course we can't know what was in his mind right now, is that he always oversold what he did. And it's possible, I'm not going to be charitable about it, but I don't know. He could have really believed that if he published Arnold's book with some embellishments, I gather, from what really happened, especially Maury Island, that he'd sell lots of books and they both make a lot of money and it didn't turn out that way. So maybe he was too optimistic too. Because I never heard of anybody saying Palmer ripped them off. So I just don't know what happened there. I will say something else about Palmer before we get on to the origins. And that's our next segment with Chris Aubeck and Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. 
This is an urgent warning. America is heading for another major financial disaster at an alarming rate. We could see stock prices fall as much as 50%, but this time the crash could be more violent and come faster than you ever imagined. We are Advantage Gold, America's most trusted precious metals company, and we are here to sound the alarm that winter is coming for investors. And now is the time to take actions that may help protect and secure your portfolio with physical precious metals. Want to help protect your hard-earned money before it's too late? Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000 and request our free gold and silver survival kit today. Mention that you heard us on the radio and learn how you could get up to $1,000 in free silver coins. The number is 800-900-8000. Call now to get your free survival kit and see if you qualify for $1,000 in free silver today. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Check with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. It's obvious the unthinkable continues. Most Americans know something very wrong is happening. People in charge keep telling you that everything's fine and to stop noticing. But you know better. That's why self-reliant folks are investing in emergency food storage. And you should, too. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, are the ones you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $200 on each three-month food kit you purchase. My Patriot Supply also sells solar generators, gravity-powered water filters, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship that same day and arrive quickly on your doorstep in unmarked boxes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Time is running out to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Talking about Ray Palmer briefly before we go on to case histories, Palmer always had provocative editorials because he wanted people to fill the reader's columns with responses. And the nice thing about reader's columns, you didn't have to pay the writer because they were contributed free and they'd respond to them and fill space. And a guy that we all have heard of, Otto Binder, was a friend of Palmer's. He published a magazine called Space World and he sold to Palmer. He was famous as a comic book writer who 
in the early days wrote continuity comics for Captain Marvel that later became Shazam and also created Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes for DC Comics. Otto said to me a couple of times that Palmer would write things not because he believed them, but because he'd get a stir out of his audience and fill those columns with free material. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I'm entirely sure that he did. Apart from that, I mean, um, when you look at the 1952 book that uh, Kenneth Arnold did with uh, Ray Palmer, The Coming of the Sources, you can see that Palmer took the original report that Kenneth Arnold had made about the the Maury Island um, incident, and he added an extra day. He added um, a period. Uh, for example, in the in the original article, Arnold's flight to Yakima in Washington is dated July the 30th. But in the book, the events pushed back to July the 29th. And it's obvious this was done deliberately because what it did, it gave them a day more of narrative to create tension and, and, and so on. But I mean, if you look at the declassified FBI documents, you can see that um, the original article was right. So... I feel sorry, in a sense, for Arnold, because I think that I don't know to what extent Palmer uh, manipulated that story for the book. I don't know whether he spoke to Arnold about, about this first, but I always got the sense that Kenneth Arnold was a very sincere, very honest person. He wouldn't have played around with the chronology of events just to, just to make the narrative more intense. Another thing about Ray Palmer, of course, is that um, in those years from 1945 onwards, he did speculate about the possibility we'd be visited by aliens in the late 1940s. That's something that I found very interesting because a long time ago, I've put this in the book uh, together with the, um, the actual illustrations that I found, there was a, a, a tale published in the year 1902 it was written by a woman called uh, Lillian C. Pascal, and she she writes about aliens visiting the Earth in the year 1948. She writes about how a strange, gigantic, bird-like object descends near to miners in, in Montana, and... There's this creature who's a Martian, of course, with a big, large eye in the center of his head, says he's, he'd been studying Earth from afar, and it had this, this eye had this strange power to force anyone in its gaze to speak the absolute truth, regardless of their intentions. It's just like Wonder Woman's rope. Exactly like like Wonder Woman's rope. And this just caused such havoc on Earth in this story published in 1902. So on the one hand, you could say that Ray Palmer uh, was right. Uh, I mean, in, in the sense that other people had predicted that in the late 40s, aliens would come to Earth. He wasn't the first. And then, of course, when Arnold had his sighting, he was probably elated that uh, that this happened because he could say, I, I was right. I, I, you know, I got the date right. 
And then I do wonder whether that creature, that sort of cyclops from Mars, if he'd stared at Ray Palmer, I don't know whether Ray Palmer would have said whether he truly believed this or not. It would have been interesting. Yeah, I put that that story in the in the book. If anyone's interested, I, the the fact that it comes from 1902 and it predicts aliens arriving in 1948 is a wonderful coincidence. And you think here when you look at stuff like that, if Palmer got the eye or he got the lasso from Wonder Woman, he spilled things that we couldn't imagine. I think there are things about Maury Island. Even the original story I wonder about is that where Arnold goes to Tacoma and all the hotels are filled. He can't get a hotel room because of some event or something. And then he goes to this place and they not only have a room, it's the one that was reserved in his name. Mm hmm. And then yeah. I, I remember Arnold and, and Captain Smith, I believe. I'm remembering mm-hmm. something I read many years ago where they were speculating that somebody was listening to them. Their yeah. Yeah. room was bugged. Yeah, and I think that if you compare the, the book to the original article, um, you can see how Palmer turned this into some some kind of mystery a lot bigger than it actually was um i don't remember all the details offhand but um i i encourage anyone to to find um the original in amazing stories and to compare it to the one in in the coming of the sources and you can see how ray palmer's mind worked you know i was just going to say that one one fact that i do but I did pick up, and I put it in the book too, was that in 1954, Arnold claimed to have spent $12,000 investigating saucer reports from Mexico to Alaska, and that he'd re- recovered 2500 from the sales of a book on the subject. And he did have his own pamphlet or booklet which was called um, The Flying Saucer That I Saw or whatever, which was uh, 50 cents. And I I doubt very much that he'd made $2,500 from selling 50-cent brochures. So maybe he did get some money from Palmer. It just wasn't what uh, Doubleday had promised him, which was 50,000, you know. So, I mean, just to set the record straight, he did claim at some point that he did get some money back. Well, maybe then we would have known the real story about Maury Island and not the version that Palmer concocted. Of course, we remember that when Shaver first came to Amazing Stories magazine and he had his warning to mankind material, Palmer rewrote much of Shaver's material to make it acceptable for a pulp sci-fi magazine. And eventually, I think Shaver became a fairly decent writer because he wrote some stuff for my magazine and it was decently well-written. It was grammatical. The spelling was correct. I mean, what more could you ask from writers? That's something that you don't always get when you're an editor. So I think in that sense, he did learn a lot from Palmer, but also was bitter about some things that Palmer did. And we can go past that now because this is not what we're going to do. I want to talk about what did Arnold see? What was the real shape? With Chris, Gene, and Tim, you're in... The Paracast? 
you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. USA News Update. Hamas is apparently holding off on releasing a second set of hostages as of today, saying Israel was not allowing enough aid trucks to Gaza. But now mediators say the situation has been worked out and Hamas will release 13 Israelis and seven foreigners in exchange for 39 Palestinians. Pope Francis cleared his calendar today. The Vatican says he's under the weather a little bit. He spent some time in the hospital after coming down with what the Vatican describes as the mild flu. The 86-year-old pontiff underwent a CAT scan of his lungs, and officials say the results ruled out any respiratory problems. Back in April, the Pope spent three days in the hospital due to a bout with bronchitis. During that illness, the Vatican said he was having trouble breathing. Francis is scheduled to travel to Dubai on Friday for a conference on climate change, and the Vatican is has not said if the plants have changed. Skip Kelly, USA News. Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated. So keep it simple and take good care of yourself with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Our heating pads soothe pains in the neck, back, and shoulders while relaxing muscles and increasing blood circulation. Sunny Bay Heating Pads have always been made in the USA and hand-filled to perfection with the highest quality materials. Sunny Bay Heating Pads are the perfect wellness gift for loved ones or yourself. See all of our high-quality products at sunny-bay.com, including heated body pads, neck pillows, heated neck and body wraps, and our stress-reducing lavender line. They're all affordable, durable, and in stock now and ready for immediate shipping direct from sunny-bay.com. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews at sunny-bay.com or just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. To your good health and wellness from Sunny Bay. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, veterinarian and naturopathic physician. The Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy with an important message. Take charge of your health. Do not continue to blindly follow the system that has failed us all. I appreciate GCN listeners because you're open-minded and intelligent. If our system is so great, why is it that the United States, the USA, ranks nearly 60th worldwide in longevity and number one in obesity? All the while, we spend more money than all the other countries combined annually on unnecessary health care procedures and toxic drugs. It doesn't take much to get on track, not with the 
government or pharmaceutical companies, but rather you in control of your own health with a basic understanding of nutrition and supplementation. FDI Longevity has the finest quality health, sports, and energy supplements available. GCN listeners are invited to join our team of people who want to stay healthy well into old age. We are currently looking for specialists to represent FDI Longevity and save America. To buy products at wholesale prices or join our business team, go to GCNteam.com. That's GCNteam.com. Support GCN. Get healthy. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So our guest, Chris Arbeck, has two books out. And we'll get to the other one a little bit later, the one on alien artifacts. And we're talking now about saucers. And this is one where he's tracing the origins of disc-shaped UFOs. Now, one point you take a little time to develop here in your book, Chris, is what was the actual shape of the objects that Kenneth Arnold said he saw? Can you go into that? Right, yeah. So what I decided to do was to piece together absolutely everything I could find that that, that Kenneth Arnold had said, starting from his interview with uh, Norden Skiff and William Beckett, when he went into the offices of the East Oregonian straight away after his sighting, all, all the way up to his uh, his death in 1984. And of course, there is an evolution there. There's um, he he wasn't he didn't stick to the same details throughout. But I think that we really have to look back at his first statements. I mean, the first thing he said regarding shape was that they were somewhat bat shaped. That's the first time he actually uses a shape adjective. Before that, we don't get complete quotes from this five-minute interview that he gave initially to Skiff and, and Beckett. He no doubt did say that they were flat, as flat as saucers, as flat as a pie pan. And what I do in the book is I look back at these terms, these expressions that he used, and I show that, well, people actually used saucers and uh, pie pans at the time as shape similes, not say shape similes, but as um, to, to indicate um, flatness, but not necessarily shape. So, for example, these days we say as flat as a, pa- as a pancake, but that doesn't mean that something's round. It just means that it's very flat like a pancake. We could be saying pizzas or we could be saying any other thing. If you, if you look back at old adverts, uh, old publicity in the, from the, the 1940s, they say things like um, the collar of a particular woman's coat. It could lay flat as a saucer. And that obviously wasn't round. It was a collar shaped. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that his original statements didn't really indicate shape until later on in the same day he gave an interview to, to William Beckett and he said they were somewhat bat-shaped. Then a couple of days later, he had uh, another interview on the, on the 27th of June, 1947, in which he says that, well, they seem to remind him of the flying wing and the flying wing was a craft, an aircraft being developed at that time 
by uh, Northrop engineers, and it looked very similar to a boomerang. We would compare it to a boomerang today. Arnold never said boomerang. It's a, it's a myth that, that he compared them to boomerangs, and it's a myth you can find all over the internet. But the fact is that he said they reminded him of a, a flying wing. Apart from that, he compared them to half moons, quarter moons. The idea of a crescent came up several times. He doesn't say crescent. He talks about half moons, quarter moons, and so on. But that is a basic, basically a crescent shape, as most people perceive one. If you put into Google Images a quarter moon, half moon, you'll find a lot of crescents. And then, of course... He carried on saying that for a very long time. And then when it gets to 1950, this is when he says, well, it seems that journalists didn't understand me because I never said I saw disc-shaped objects at all. And then when he had um, an airbrush picture made uh, in 1950, it, it looks like a crescent. And what I say in the book is that it looks like something a superhero would ride into battle because it looks like something that Moon Knight or Wonder Woman would, 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 would fly through the sky. So I find that Kenneth Arnold's depiction of the objects that he saw, his description, was fairly consistent from June 1947 through to the, 19, the early 1950s. And what I do is, I, when I present all his statements to the reader, I don't say, this is what you have to believe now. I say, you know, look at this. Uh, put on your Sherlock Holmes uh, deerstalker and pick up a magnifying glass and think about this for yourself. Because I think that it's a lot healthier to get the reader to to participate in, in this and try to work out what Kenneth Funnel probably saw. The important thing, the bottom line is, he did not say he saw flying plate or pizza-shaped objects. And, you know, I mean, what I do in the book is I explain how the myth of the flying saucer uh, started and how it spread um, from June 1947 onwards. So when you talk about the possibility of a bat-winged kind of shape, is there any possibility here, assuming, and that's the big assumption, that Arnold might have overestimated the speed of these objects. If he did that, could they have been something conventional? Yeah, this is a theory that um, people, even in the 1947, uh, immediately jumped to because they thought, well, he must have seen an aircraft designed by our own military. Uh, However, uh, at that time, um, there weren't nine... Uh, bat-shaped or or flying wings floating around in the in the sky over over North America. Um, the the first drawing he he produced actually um, around July the twelfth, nineteen forty seven, was uh, in a letter to to the to Army Air Force Intelligence. And then you can see a, a shape there that sort of looks like um, as if you taken a full moon but you'd put a triangle part at the end of it it's very different from what he what he drew later on but it's virtually identical to the body of the flying flapjack 
which was another celebrity aircraft uh, at the time. And and this this connection was also made in 1947. They said, but let's, I mean, obviously this man saw a flying flapjack or nine of them. But um, again, fly, uh, nine flying flapjacks did not exist at that time. So um, whatever he saw could not have been uh, a conventional aircraft. It could not have been one of ours. And that's why, of course, people also speculated that maybe it was the it was the Japanese, the Russians, the Germans, of course, because this was 1947 and it was just after the war. But it was also a bit the beginning of the Cold War, so there was quite a lot of paranoia for a time that maybe he saw something uh, that was spying on North America, or maybe even missiles being prepared to attack us. But, I mean, these theories uh, died out. Is it possible over the years that, like anybody else, after reading so much about what he saw, which was obviously for a short period of time, his memory of what he witnessed altered somewhat? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's impossible to think that, that, that he retained a clear memory of what he saw. I mean, he, his memory was as fallible as, as anybody's. I mean, what he saw what was like three, three and a half minutes. Um, I, I do magic tricks in my, in my English classes uh, as an English teacher. And um, I sometimes speak to my students six months later or even a week later and say, tell me what I did. Do you remember what I did? And they invent something that way more impossible than what I've actually done, you know, whether it was make, to make a coin disappear or whatever, uh, because our, our memories are indeed very fallible. He didn't have uh, a camera with him. Uh, he didn't make a drawing, as far as we know, immediately when he landed. So he was struggling to retain this shape in, in his mind. We'll have more with Chris and Gene and Tim. Lots more. You're in the Berrycast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. If you love mysteries, you'll love these two books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll learn about the strange beings that can look like us, but are not. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll see the hard evidence of UFOs that has been ignored or even hidden. These books will definitely blow your mind, and both are now available on Amazon.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, Com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. 
Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-430-1891-800-
and you think, how close are we getting to the real event? And there were lots of variations in the testimony. It really was a nightmare, I think, for people like Don Schmidt and Kevin Randall to investigate. Yeah, that's right. Just to mention the the flying flapjack connection again, which is also the title of my chapter 18. It's interesting that, uh, of course, Kenneth Arnold was an aviator. Uh, he was fascinated by airplanes. So many of his friends were were pilots. He was quite up to date on the on on the latest technology, the latest designs coming out. And it's uh, it was May. 1947. I mean, his sighting was in June, May 1947. Uh, the magazine Mechanics Illustrated had an article. Uh, it was front page thing. You can see there the same shape that he drew for the for the Air Force on the cover of the magazine. And um, this object was compared to a saucer, which is. Something that I, I mean, I, I knew that people had spoken about the flapjack connection before, but when I actually got to read it, it says textually that the flapjack was a queer saucer-shaped object on two long stilted legs. And it was called the flying flapjack. And there was also another one called the flying pancake because of the disc-like shape so this this idea wasn't beyond the realms of the impossible at the time and and when people heard that he'd seen disc-shaped objects it was pretty clear that everyone was able to to imagine this in in fact in in the book i i quote from mechanics illustrated they say so don't be amazed when one of these days you hear a whistling sound from the sky and you see a blurred circular object scaling across the heavens at a speed never before attained by man and i've taken that quote and i put it with a, a sort of background with a flying flapjack flying over a house and the point is that anybody reading those magazines and these days, of course, very few people are going to read aviation magazines unless you're, uh, you're really into planes. But at the time, um, this kind of invention was, uh, they, they were like celebrities in the sand. People were reading about it, fascinated by what had been developed for World War II. And people were ready to read about uh, circular, saucer-shaped objects. So whether Kenneth Arnold use the word saucer in his initial interview or not, um, this kind of shape has already entered uh, pop culture. And this also came after decades of the disc shape appearing in, in pulp fiction, in, in comics. It had been used so often on the covers of, of magazines that uh, science fiction magazines, the 1920s and 30s, that people were ready for it. So where's the original? What are we basing this on? What is the original saucer or whatever? So this is um, the the next part of, of my book, I suppose. So, well, at least one of them. Well, what, what I did was to, after, after putting Arnold's statements together, I look into historical cases. And firstly, I have two chapters on historical sightings, very similar to what I did with uh, Jacques Vallée in, in, in 2010, but cases that we didn't publish at the time. Um, and those chapters discuss objects of all kinds of uh, shapes and sizes. And then I have two chapters on, on 
objects that seemed to be disc-shaped. At least they were circular, some of them were flat and so on. But none of them really mattered in the sense that people weren't aware of them, they were not popular, they didn't change anything, they didn't enter pop culture. But what I, I discovered about 20 years ago was that the expression flying saucer had already been invented. It had been coined around the year 1880 when um, in trap shooting and skeet, um, shooters had, um, well, they were forced to give up firing at uh, birds because people felt that it was very cruel to, to kill birds or to to, to breed birds just for the purpose of, of killing them in, in this very popular sport. Of course, trap shooting and skeet was so popular in the, at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, uh, more popular than golf and tennis and football. It was like a main sport in North America, although we've forgotten about that these days. Anyway, in 1880, an inventor called George Legowski um, designed a clay disc that if you shot it, it would scatter the clay particles all over the fields, but it, it wouldn't cause any big problems in the environment. And people called them flying saucers. So um, when I discovered this about 20 years ago, I began talking to colleagues uh, in the UFO field, and they didn't really take it very seriously. They said, well, it seems like you found five or six references to, to flying saucers. It's just a coincidence and so on. So I spent 20 years looking at this, and I discovered that flying saucer, the expression flying saucer was so common in the 1880s, 1890s, but hundreds of, of references to flying saucers throughout the North American newspapers everywhere. Then in 1943, the game of trap shooting was uh, forbidden because the, the American military said we should, we should use all our ammunition, all our weapons for the war effort, uh, World War II. So um, nobody could, could, could trap shoot anymore. But um, the military did uh, hire a lot, I mean, hundreds of, of, um, of the best trap shooters to train their own gunners who would then have an advantage uh, as they flew over Europe and Nazi Germany and, and attacked um, uh, Nazis in their planes. So the, um, what we find is, and this is something that has amazed a lot of people, that in around 1943-44, American soldiers were talking about flying saucers. The American military was using the expression flying saucers, and these were simply these uh, discs that were used to train their own, their own gunners. And another odd thing that I found was that um, General Henry H. Arnold um, was a name that was associated with this practice of hiring trap shooters and, and destroying flying saucers. So in a period of three years, uh, people switched from associating flying saucers with General Henry H. Arnold 
to flying saucers to Kenneth Arnold, a completely different Arnold. And by the 1950s, nobody seemed to remember any of this. But what I show in the book was that hundreds of thousands of people, probably half a million, more than a million, it's, it's very hard to estimate, would have already been incredibly familiar with the term flying saucer in June 1947. So when newspapers picked up on this expression uh, in June uh, and July because of Arnold's uh, sighting, it, it just spread like wildfire. Oh, this guy saw flying saucers. Oh, that's so funny. The term that we've been using for 60 years, I bet they were really small. And, of course, um, if you look back at, at that time, nobody knew how big uh, flying saucers, that is the alleged alien spacecraft, uh, could be. And many of them thought, many people thought they really were saucer-sized and saucer-shaped because of the association with the sport. And that is what really helped the term flying saucer spread through North America. We have Chris, we have Gene, we have Tim. You're in the Pedicast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're trying to trace the origin of flying saucers, so I'll get back to the nitty-gritty here. And that is, 
how much of that pop culture filtered through what Kenneth Arnold attempted to describe. Well, yeah, it's it's certainly interesting how for several decades uh, in in pulp fiction and science fiction, uh, flying saucers became one of the standard designs for for spaceships. Really, it started in in 1887 um, with the publication of a book called uh, Bellona's uh, Husband, which um, basically talks about humans who design a spacecraft, um, which they called the ethereal disk flew it up into space to Mars, discovered that um, all of the other planets too had designed disc-shaped craft um, that, um, well, they even say, well, the, the author of, of, of the book, William James Rowe, says that the meteorites that we see in the sky are actually discs which have been driven from other planets towards the Earth and have not been able to land on Earth because uh, they explode in the atmosphere. They burn up, and that's what we see as, as meteorites. It was just a novel. But the fact is it was published in 1887, which was when in, the interest in this new invention, the clay flying saucer, was at its peak. So this is what probably triggered several decades of saucer-shaped spacecraft uh, because everyone knew what that meant, the, the flying saucers used in the sport. This is such an aerodynamic design. So when we get to Kenneth Arnold's sighting, people were primed for it. People were prepared to, to believe in saucer-shaped spaceships because they'd seen them in, in on magazine covers. And then what I do in the book, I show that there were even stories uh, at the beginning of the 20th century of abductions, actual flying saucers that landed and abducted people, took them back into space. That appeared first in science fiction and then only later on in, in ufology. So, um, yeah, I'd say that quite a lot of that trickled through into the, into the Arnold period. Tim? In any of those... Um probably, you know, like 1920s, 1930s uh, uh, pulp science fiction magazines, were any of these spacecrafts ever referred to as flying saucers? Uh, no, they weren't. No, they, they weren't. They were, they were called disc discs. They were, they were painted. I mean, the images, I've actually got a whole chapter on this uh, in the book. If you look at it, you, you could believe that it was, that the, these were drawn uh, 30 years ago or 20 years ago because they, they really do look like flying saucers. Uh, some of them were sort of with, with the portals around them and, and so on. They had everything to do with flying saucers uh, minus the name. But, of course, in the 20s and 30s, people called the clay discs flying saucers as well as clay pigeons and other, other names. But flying saucers was the most popular term. So you would never have called these spaceships flying saucers in science fiction. It would have been absurd. People would have said, why do you call it a flying saucer? That's what we, that's what we catapult into the air for people to shoot at. So there was no reason to, to, to give them that name until, of course, the... Um, these original reports of, of Kenneth Arnold's sighting equated flying saucers with alien spaceships for the first time. Well, talking about Kenneth Arnold, initially, did he offer any opinions on what he thought he may have uh, seen? 
Because, you know, like you said, initially, a lot of the early speculation dealt with the man-made types of craft, you know, secret air force, maybe even Russian or, or uh, Nazi Germany. What was Kenneth Arnold offering at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, he, he believed that they were, they were um, terrestrial technology. He wasn't sure what to, what to believe. Um, some of his pilot friends said that they could be missiles. Uh, his pilot friends actually had told him that they'd been warned that they might even come across this kind of technology at some point in the future. So he, had, um, he wasn't really sure what they were, but he did insist that, um, they, would, that they should be called strange airplanes. They should be called um, something other than flying saucers. Because he was so sure that they were technology, that they were that they were planes. So um, it wasn't very long later that he started to think that they were probably uh, from another planet himself. So I mean, uh, when you find and and most a lot of people did. I wouldn't say most people. We can't know how many people really did, but. This is a, a conversation I've had with uh, Jerome Clark and with other people in the past. How many people believe that these might be alien spaceships? There was a, a Gallup poll, and in that Gallup poll, nobody said that they were alien spaceships. But at the same time, there were dozens of, of, of newspaper comments constantly, all I mean, from the very beginning, uh, saying that uh, Arnold had seen Martians and had seen extraterrestrials and, and so on. So this was something in people's minds. And I'm not surprised that Kenneth Arnold changed his mind quickly and reached the opinion that these were extraterrestrials, you know. Um, I mean, on... Was it June the twenty seventh, nineteen forty seven? Arnold was was sitting in a in a cafe in Pendleton, and a woman rushed in, took one look at him, and then dashed out shrieking, "There's the man who saw the men from Mars!" Oh. So I mean, immediately he was immersed in in this world in, in which people equated what he saw with with spaceships. So um, yeah, I th I'm 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 preparing. Um, a short book, actually, which will show that people from the very beginning uh, thought that uh, Arnold had seen aliens. And as I said, that's that's quite a controversial point. A lot of ufologists um, and don't believe that at all, but the evidence is there. Seems almost like the world was was primed to consider the reality of extraterrestrial visitors after the end of, of World War II. I think primarily, and as you've pointed out, because of all the pop culture with the pulp magazines that people had been reading for, you know, uh, a, a couple of decades. And, uh, I mean, thousands of people were reading this material. So I don't think that it's a far stretch that you start seeing strange things in the sky that the assumption immediately goes to extraterrestrial visitors. Well, what people aren't really aware of, and what I tried to do with volume one of my book, Alien Artifacts, and I'm about to publish volume two, I show that people were not only aware of the possibility of alien visits um, 
in the early 19th century, so we're talking about the 1820s, 1830s, but they were almost equally obsessed with the possibility that aliens were visiting us uh, more than 100 years before, before Kenneth Arnold. I mean, um, the, the ancient aliens um, hypothesis dates from 1823. Uh, that's um, and that that was a book published in in French, um, and I have a whole chapter on this in Alien Artifacts, in which um, a, a businessman who travelled to to Germany was quite interested in these in these rocks that he saw there, and he reached the conclusion that these had formed part of a planet that had exploded. Um, at that time, everyone was fascinated by the discovery of the asteroids. And so he put two and two together and he said, well, maybe that planet that exploded that the astronomers are talking about, um, maybe maybe parts or remnants of that civilization landed on Earth. And if, if parts of that civilization landed on Earth, maybe actual people did too. Aliens had escaped that planet like um, like like Superman escaped, escaped the planet Krypton. Before we get into the Man of Steel, who can leap tall buildings with a single bound and bend steel with his bare hands, why am I doing this? Chris Aubeck, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz, you're in The Paracast! <laughs> Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. It's obvious the unthinkable continues. Most Americans know something very wrong is happening. People in charge keep telling you that everything's fine and to stop noticing. But you know better. That's why self-reliant folks are investing in emergency food storage. You should, too. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, are the ones you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $200 on each three-month food kit you purchase. My Patriot Supply also sells solar generators, gravity-powered water filters, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship that same day and arrive quickly on your doorstep in unmarked boxes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Time is running out to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com 
What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented Made in America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie Guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this... Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. But I was thinking, based on what you said, Chris, what about the possibility that we humans are descended from a race of extraterrestrials? Of course, that goes back to the second-generation Battlestar Galactica TV show mm. where Ronald D. Moore took the basis of the original rather cheesy show and made it into something more thought-provoking. But at the end, here's a spoiler they land on Earth 100,000 years ago. That's right. Actually, in, in Alien Artifacts, I mentioned Battlestar Galactica because it, it probably had a, a big impact on me when I was a kid watching that. Um, but what people didn't realize until I, I, I published this book was how old this theory is. So, as I said, it goes back to 1823, which means that this year is the 200th anniversary of the ancient alien theory. It's something that we should celebrate in some way, maybe, I don't know. But the fact is that um, in the 1880s, there was already speculation that the Easter Island statues had been built 
by aliens or the descendants of aliens. There was talk of the pyramids having been built by aliens. There were people talking about the 10th planet. There were people talking about uh, how our ancestors had come from the sky and had been originally the people on Earth, the primitive people on Earth, the Neolithics, had uh, interpreted them, seen them as devils or gods. And these ideas are over 150 years old. So we can even find lots of um, philosophers throughout the 19th century saying Adam and Eve had come from other planets. They even tried to pinpoint which planets they had come from, which was also a part of Mormon belief at the time. And, of course, the Mormons are also related to Battlestar Galactica, aren't they? Because of uh, Glenn A. Larson. He was a Mormon. Uh, so it's very interesting how, how this theory is so old. And in Alien Artifacts, I managed to piece this together for the, for the first time. So I, I trace all, that, all the way back to 1823. But what I show in the second volume of, of, of that series, Alien Artifacts 2, is just how how frequently people spoke about crashed ufos aliens running around sort of on the loose in, in towns even abductions or abduction stories going back to the 1860s it's it's crazy uh, and lots and lots of alien artifacts and then when we get to the beginning of the 20th century it does not stop it's simply that we've forgotten about it so you get to the 18 the, the 1920s there was um one farmer who in North America, um, who found what he believed was the cranium, the skull of an alien whose spaceship would have exploded in the, in the atmosphere. And he said, now we've got to band together and look for the rest of his body. So he, he organized a, a search party among the neighbors to see if they could find the, the mortal remains of this crashed alien man he didn't even talk about the spaceship just the just the body the just the skeleton that would be some somehow sort of scattered around the fields and this was in all the newspapers of course and that's the way things were for for decades and decades then of course when you get to october 1946 um newspapers were full of of headlines saying um extraterrestrial spaceship seen over san diego so, uh, because a, a bullet-shaped object had been seen flying over San Diego, and um, people quickly reached the opinion that these were aliens. They had a, a medium who contacted the pilots and said that the spaceship itself was called Carita, but they wouldn't tell him what planet they'd come from. And I, I've always thought that that should have triggered the whole um, UFO scene itself, because that was just a few months before Kenneth Arnold. So, yeah, when, it, when we get to uh, 1947, people were incredibly ready uh, to, to hear about, um, about aliens. I mean, uh, for example, on June the 22nd, Two days before before Arnold reported his sighting, Dr. Lyman Spitzer, Jr., an associate professor of astrophysics at Yale University, spoke about 
extraterrestrial visitations on WTIC radio. And he said that if Martians were millions of years more evolved than humans, their, te their technology would be so far ahead of us. And if that was the case, um, we could never photograph them. We'd, we'd never see them. We wouldn't have any chance at all because they'd escape detection. And then, of course, two days later, Kenneth Arnold had his sighting. So, um, yeah, the world was ready. Everything old is new again. Really, really strange how far this goes back. Why was all this material that you discovered essentially forgotten? Is it because we didn't have the mass media we have today? Yeah, uh, that's that's one reason. But you know, I mean, there's a lot of there are a lot of urban legends which get recycled every five or six years even these days, as if it were the first time. And it's because we're just so bombarded with information. It's, it's very difficult to keep up. They just change the names, change the places, but urban legends uh, are, re are a reality, and we just keep recycling the same old stories. At that time, of course, um, people couldn't consult 20-year-old um, newspapers, 10-year-old newspapers. Um, of course, people's uh, lifespans were also uh, shorter. So it was more difficult to, to pass down information in this way from generation to generation. Uh, not everybody could read anyway. Um, there weren't any specialized magazines in, for all kinds of esoteric things, including UFOs. Of course, there were lots of mystical magazines during the, the spiritualist period, during that movement. But they didn't normally uh, talk about uh, UFO sightings. So that information was lost. I mean, the, the fact that from the 1950s onwards, people had forgotten that we'd spent 60 years using the expression flying saucers to describe this object used in trap shooting and skeet. And then suddenly flying saucers had a totally different meaning. Even Kenneth Arnold, and I've spoken to Kim Arnold about this, he didn't know that, he wasn't aware that, that flying saucers had been used in sport for 60 years. He thought that he had accidentally coined this expression himself. That's how easy it is for, for people just to forget the past, just in, in two or three years. You can just totally forget what you were doing before that, I mean, I give classes to young to young people. They don't have a clear memory of their lives before the COVID pandemic, before wearing masks, uh, which is amazing, really. Uh, you know, the, the human mind is quite fragile and our memories are fragile. I suspect very much here Ray Palmer, being a student of history and just read so much because of the fact he grew up and he was handicapped and everything, and he was aware of a lot of this, I'm sure. We've got Chris Jean. Tim, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. 
As the cold and flu season approaches, Silver Lungs is ready to help you and your family through the toughest of the year by supporting your immune system and overall health. From our best-selling colloidal silver generating system to our entire line of silver-based skin gels, nasal sprays, soaps, and silver solutions. Silver solutions remain one of nature's most powerful and least expensive antibacterial agents. Now you can produce your own for pennies a day in the comfort of your home using the breakthrough technology of the Silver Lungs Generator. Learn more today at www.silverlungs.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. USA News Update. A woman on methamphetamines tried to open the emergency door on a plane 10 hours into a Korean air flight. The flight was over the Pacific when the 26-year-old woman, high on the stimulant, became paranoid and agitated, ran to the emergency exit door and tried to force it open. Passengers say flight attendants wrestled her to the floor and restrained her. Airport police took her into custody when the plane landed safely several hours later. Cops reportedly had her tested and determined she was high on methamphetamine. It's apparently the third time this year that a passenger has tried to open an emergency door on a Korean flight. A project manager, Tavis Rogers, fired by Newmont Mining Corporation for missing a COVID-19 vaccination deadline, has filed a lawsuit alleging religious discrimination. Rogers, employed for seven months, raised concerns about the vaccination requirement issued in November 2021. He sought permission to work remotely instead of getting vaccinated, but the lawsuit claims the company did not accommodate his request, leading to his termination. Skip Kelly, USA News. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. There's no reason why you shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. And I'm going to give you a free copy of my lecture that tells you exactly how to do it. In fact, after you've lived a long and healthy life, there should be only two documents in your medical chart, a birth certificate and a death certificate. I'm Dr. Wallach with a warning. If you have a four-inch medical chart, If you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, and other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. My free lecture is going to reveal what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. It's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free, 1-855-79-YOUNG, 1-855-79-YOUNG. 
This is James Fox, director of the Phenomenon and Moment of Contact. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we're on with Chris Arbeck taking a fascinating journey through the history that you never knew, although it's out there if you do the research. Like I said, I think when Ray Palmer was coming up with a lot of this stuff for his various publications, especially you had amazing stories, he probably knew some of this before he brought it up and then was able to take the Schaefer stories and give it the context. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, how many how many magazines would he would have he read during his lifetime? How many people would have sent to him letters about UFOs and strange lights that they'd seen in the sky? He was probably very aware, very well aware of all of this. I mean, Vincent Gaddis's article, uh, "Visitors from the Void," was available in in kiosks the day that Kenneth Arnold took his, his flight on the 24th of June. If he'd stopped to buy Amazing Stories on the way to the East Oregonian offices and read this Vincent Gaddis article about how weird objects had been seen in the sky and maybe they were visitors from other planets, he might not have even gone to the newspaper offices. He might have said, well, obviously that explains what I've just seen. You know, because people were already talking about this about this kind of thing. Uh, Vincent Gaddis, I remember him. I had a magazine out in the 70s and 80s, and he wrote for us occasionally. Yeah, I, I, I believe he contributed to the Bermuda Triangle story too, didn't he? I think he did, yes. That's another story we can go into, but it would require another book, I think, on your <laughs> part. Although I kind of wonder how Bermuda Triangle got mixed in with the UFOs, but then when you're talking about possible disappearing objects, I guess it makes sense. I know that the guy who probably made the most money off the Bermuda Triangle is Charles Burlitz. He had a best-selling book on the subject, and he was a little guy, slightly stout, and he had this twinkle in his eyes, and he'd look at me, and he'd say, I'm as honest as the day is long. <laughs> And of course, he was also the heir to the to the Berlitz language schools, to tie it back to what we said at the beginning. Yeah, he was grandson, and therefore he was a spoiled rich kid. So I think he indulged himself by chasing Bermuda Triangle, chasing the Philadelphia Experiment, and chasing, fortunately or unfortunately, Roswell. Yeah, that's right. I'd love to have, have spoken to him, I think, and, uh, and asked him if he was really sure about the information he put in his books. These days, of course, I mean, a lot of people never even heard of him, but there was a time when he was um, one of the main voices on, on all of these subjects. I don't, I don't know exactly why he spent so long researching these things. I mean, like the Philadelphia experiment, I believe he got into that too. Uh, yes. But his name his name's been lost to history. Most most young researchers, ufologists these days have either never heard of him or may have come across one of his pocketbook books in a market somewhere. But, you know, I mean, nothing that he, he wrote has uh, survived the test of time. 
except the Philadelphia Experiment in Roswell, of course. We still hear about the Philadelphia Experiment, and Roswell continues, although we don't remember where it began. Berlitz was such a character. I enjoyed my visits with him. He lived in Glen Cove, New York, and his work area was a converted ship's cabin in his house. Wow. You know, spoiled rich man. Yeah, yeah. And well, you know, if you look back in the 19th century, a lot of the of the people who devoted their, their lives to talk, to writing about Atlantis and um, lost continents and lost races were also very rich because they had the money to just sit back and write all day long or to travel around the world looking for, for evidence. So there was a long tradition of, of rich people writing about weird mysteries. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose uh, in, a, in a pre-internet age, you needed to, to move around, which is, of course, why Charles Fort went to live in London for a period. Well, with Berlitz, he had this old world character about him. When I first met him, which was on a cable TV show in New York, and we were talking about Bermuda Triangle, and I asked him, what are you doing next? And he says, I'm doing this book on the Philadelphia Experiment. And he talked about the annotated edition of M.K. Jessup's The Case for the UFO. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I had a copy of that, you know. I think Gray Barker had reprinted it. And he said, oh, you do? Wow. And I brought him the copy, which he returned, by the way. And we started the friendship, you know. And I guess he left New York and moved to Florida. Like I said, he was quite a character. And I think in many ways he's missed because of that. We don't have characters like that anymore. He was the kind of person, you see him once and you recognize him and you don't forget him. That's kind of sad. We don't have people like that so much in the UFO field. We have all these individualists. Ray Palmer, Richard Shaver, Jim Mosley, Gray Barker. Today we have, you know, some remnants of that era. We have Jerry Clark, of course, and others, but I think we've lost something. I'm a relic myself, but I don't like to say that. Tim, why don't you pick up on the questioning? Well, I'm just curious. All of the then subsequent, not all of them, but, you know, a lot of the subsequent sightings of UFOs are then described as disc-shaped, flying saucers, a plethora of photographs showing disc-shaped objects, especially in the 50s and 60s. So, you know, were all of these hoaxes, mistaken impressions of, you know, natural uh, events, things like that? What, you know, I mean, what, what was going on? Well, you know... Um the main reason I started on this on this book was because I realized that the disc-shaped UFOs have this iconic status. But the fact is they're very infrequently reported in, in major sighting databases. I mean, the, the National UFO Reporting Center on New Fork is on the Internet with over 150,000 cases uh, which have been registered since 1980. They show that disc-shaped objects represent about 5%, around 5 6% of, of, of all of their cases, uh, which means that 94% aren't disc-shaped at all. And um, so disc's in this particular database, are significantly less than, than other shapes like, like lights, triangles, and, and fireballs. And then, of course, ARO, the um, all-domain anomaly resolution office that everyone's so excited about recently, they have a, a, 
a pie chart on their website that show that discs comprise just 2% of the cases that, that they've recorded since 1990. Their, their records go back. So what I find is that this finding is at, is at odds with the popular portrayal of flying saucers as the quintessential UFO. And I find that Sources is something that's been perpetuated by the media and, and literature, of course. So, um, as I said, when, when I looked for saucer shapes with uh, Jacques Vallée and when we published our book in, in 2010, we just couldn't find any, uh, practically. Um, I have what's probably the largest uh, collection of um, pre-1947 UFO cases, which um, I, I have my own private collection, and then through my research group, Magonia Exchange, which has um, collected around 40,000, 50,000 cuttings since 2003. Disc-shaped objects appear in only about 0.02% of, of cases. So what I, what I would say in the book is that, yeah, maybe some UFOs are disc-shaped, but because most of them aren't, we do have to be quite careful with these photos. I mean, how odd is it that if only between 0.02% and around 5% of cases are, were reported as, as disc-shaped uh, over time? That would mean, of course, that there's a lot we're not reporting there. Chris Jean, Tim, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s.com the silver lungs generator is the only all-encompassing professional class product for producing endless colloidal and ionic silver solutions right from the convenience of your home with recent regulations threatening the sale of silver-based supplements, now you can secure yourself and your family by producing your own silver solutions anywhere, anytime. You can have the peace of mind knowing that you can create endless supply of silver anytime, anywhere, for any application. The Silver Lungs Generator is a one-time purchase that requires no maintenance nor replacement parts for the life of the unit. This product was designed to be an invaluable part of your vital preparation. 
preparations. For a detailed report on the differences between ionic silver, colloidal silver, and what most silver solution manufacturers are producing, please visit our website at www.silverlungs.com for more information on why you should be producing your own silver solutions right from your home forever. Let me tell you a story about Bill. Bill was a normal guy in his 50s. He had back surgery about two years ago. Bill was in a lot of pain. He dealt with his pain by taking the Percocets his doctor prescribed for him. Bill took more and more and more of them to help with the pain, until one day the prescriptions weren't enough to get rid of Bill's pain. Then one day Bill found someone to help him get rid of the pain with illegal drugs he didn't need a prescription for. Fast forward to today. Bill lost his job and his family. The only thing he does have is his drug dealer. If you know Bill's story and you don't want to end up like Bill, call the Detox and Treatment Helpline right now to get away and get treatment. 800-296-1327. Call right now. Help is standing by. 800-296-1327. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few. In one month, my blood pressure dropped significantly. I no longer get chest pain after exercise. It's amazing, and I ordered my second bottle. The reviews are spot on. My target is to get off BP meds, and if it keeps going like this, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. So far, a great product is what it claims to be. Great product. A few days in, and I could feel a difference for certain. Not checking medical stats yet. I know this is really working by how I feel. We'll continue to take this product. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So as we left Chris, he was talking about the fact that only a tiny portion of all these cases are disc-shaped. But that yeah, is the uh, pop culture is all about flying saucers. Yeah. I mean, what, what kind of coincidence is it that practically every photo of flying saucers, particularly the, I mean, of UFOs, particularly the old black and white and grainy ones, are of saucer shapes? But it was such a tiny percentage of UFO reports previous to Arnold and since Arnold. I mean, flying saucers were really just dominant in a period which was less than the career span of the Rolling Stones, you know, and... What I want to do with this book is to challenge and question this idea that, that, that UFOs are predominantly disc-shaped. And people are surprised when I, I point them to the, to the databases and they say, you have a look. I don't have to tell you. Have a look yourself. It's on the ones that are online. I mean, you just, ha- you just see how many are, are dis- And then what we find is that witnesses often reported their UFOs as saucer or disc-shaped. But when you get down to the actual report itself... 
they don't even mention it. So sometimes they had completely different shapes, rectangular and triangular, or didn't see a shape at all. But they've checked the, the little box that says disc, because there's this preconception that UFOs should be disc-shaped. Um, we find it from Fox Mulder's poster uh, on the wall to um, any jewellery or badges or T-shirts or book covers and album covers that you can imagine. I mean... That's just how we conceive them. One, one point that I do make um, in the book, too, is that if you tell a child to draw a ghost, it'll draw a, a white thing with a sheet over it and two big black eyes. But no one ever sees ghosts like that these days. Uh, it would be a joke if someone said that they'd seen a ghost looking like that. It's because disks have become our shorthand to refer to, to alien spacecraft. And I think that it's time to reflect on that and to question that. And um, that's why the book's quite challenging. We have a, uh, a question from our forums to you. And this is from SRL Plus Paranormal Adept. And uh, they would like to know, would someone ask Chris if there has been a notice uptick of aerial anonymous sightings shape or not, anywhere globally since the onset of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and as recent as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? I think it's too, too soon to know, but it's true that this period also coincides with um, all this interest in Grush's testament and, and the government's uh, apparently renewed fascination with the whole UFO field. So... I think that what we're going to find is a lot more reports of, of UFOs, but I don't really think it has to do with, uh, with the conflict going on. I don't think it has to do with the war, but we're going to find a lot of people speculating in that way very soon because wars and battles have always been associated with um, aerial phenomena. And that's because every generation believes that it's so important that, um, that those people are so important that UFOs, extraterrestrials, our space brothers are bound to show up and um, want to give us a sign of some kind. It's just something that happens in, in every generation. People believe that they are so relevant to the universe that extraterrestrials will choose that moment to to show up in the sky. I don't really believe that that's what happens, but during periods of conflict, people look for omens. They look for um, any sign of, of a divine intervention, and they look upwards. And I think that it's a very good time for looking for UFOs. So, But I think that um, that would just be a coincidence. I don't think they're that interested in us. That's my personal opinion. So how would that explain abductions? We assume that they have nothing to do with whatever causes UFOs? I don't know. I, I, I'm not exactly sure how to interpret in abductions. What I have done um, in this series of books, Alien Artifacts, I'm, I've been looking back at um, abduction stories to see how, how far they, they, they go back. And it's, I was on, the, um, on a documentary series for the, for the History Channel uh, years ago talking about the parallels between demonology, witchcraft, and alien abductions. There was a book, a manual um, for witch finders called the Malleus Maleficarum, which I believe was 
published in 1484 or 1482, something like that. And they talk about how demons and witches interact, interact, and they um, in, in a very, very similar way to to abductees and aliens. There's a lot of sexual content. In fact, they talk about the the, the demonic parts, genitals, and what what they were like. Um, the product from from this uh, was often a kind of weird hybrid child because they would take semen from the man and this, that, and the other. Uh, I won't go into details about that now, but it's all there if anyone wants to pick up a copy of the Maleus Maleficarum. And it's so similar to what um, to what Jacobs and, and John Mack described in their books that I don't think that's that's a coincidence. And then uh, um, another case I'd love to write about soon is that of Jane Led, um, a late 17th century mystic who lived in London. And she wrote these diaries um, published uh, under the name of Fountain of Gardens. And in these diaries, it basically says things like, July the 7th, I saw a weird light come down from the clouds and then go back up into the sky and this kind of thing. I saw a weird uh, chariot with with wings uh, in the sky over London. Um, But then she says, well, uh, I've just experienced a transportation. I was looking at a star, a weird star in the sky, and suddenly I found myself there in that star. And then she'll go on to describe um, a room in which she would encounter other people. And then her her conversations with angelic beings uh, who would present her with um, strange children and babies. And then, of course, uh, you also have uh, fairy folklore in which you find very, very similar stories of um, of people being abducted by goblins and fairies and so on. Uh, my friend um, uh, Jacques Vallée writes about this too in Passport to Magonia. And um, these people who've been abducted very often uh, are also involved with babies who uh, seem to be very sickly and the and the folklorist of the period, the uh, folklorist said, um, it's because the fairies are of a dwindling stock. That is to say, they were genetically very weak and they were looking for humans to, to strengthen their race. That is so similar to abduction stories, too, that I don't know what to make of it, but I'd like to publish everything I have in the next couple of years. My worries about abductions, of course, is when they use hypnotic regression and the problems attendant to using that kind of technique because maybe we're giving people memories of things that didn't occur. But I'm also fascinated by the fact that, as you say, we have legends or stories of people encountering others, other beings, higher beings, whatever they are, for so many years, and we're only interpreting it now as far as our pop culture is concerned. But then again, with UFOs themselves... Wouldn't the same thing hold true? What we see is in accordance with our sci-fi culture, Star Trek, all this other stuff, if it was 100 years from now and things that are is, somewhat different. You know, if we're still here, of course. That is that is true, but this is this is a myth that which I've shown in, in Alien Artifacts, that series of books, um, because... People think today, well, the reason we interpret these things is because of our pop culture, Star Trek and Star Wars and Star whatever you want, and all these invasion, uh, alien invasion series of the 1960s. But 
you go back 60 years, people were saying exactly the same things. And you go back 80 years and people were saying exactly the same things. So I think it's, um, it's a myth that we're interpreting weird phenomena uh, as alien uh, visitation because it's exactly what our grandparents and our great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents did. And that was before science fiction became a thing. So uh, that's, that was the motive I had for writing Alien Artifacts. And a lot of people have read it and said, oh, my God, really? I did not know that, um, for example, in the 1870s, um, they used the excuse that the, the Maori people of, of Australia, um, sorry, the Aborigines of Australia, um, um, they said that because these are extraterrestrials and the whole continent of Australia was an asteroid that fell into the Pacific Ocean, of course, uh, that explains the koalas and the kangaroos. We will find out more about Australia with Gene Tim and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you love reading about the mysteries of the universe? Do you wonder what secrets are hidden in the shadows of our own planet? If so, you won't want to miss these two amazing books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll explore the world of the mimics of man, beings that can look like us but are not. They've been among us since the beginning of history, hiding in plain sight, influencing our culture in ways we can scarcely imagine. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll discover the so-called hard evidence of UFOs that's been available for study this entire time, but for the most part has been ignored. These two books will open your eyes to a hidden reality that has been right in front of our eyes all along. That's Mimics, The Others Among Us, and Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. Available now on Amazon.com. This is an urgent warning. America is heading for another major financial disaster at an alarming rate. We could see stock prices fall as much as 50%, but this time the crash could be more violent and come faster than you ever imagined. We are Advantage Gold, America's most trusted precious metals company, and we are here to sound the alarm that winter is coming for investors. And now is the time to take actions that may help protect and secure your portfolio with physical precious metals. Want to help protect your hard-earned money before it's too late? Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000 and request our free gold and silver survival kit today. Mention that you heard us on the radio and learn how you could get up to $1,000 in free silver coins. The number is 800-900-8000. Call now to get your free survival kit and see if you qualify for $1,000 in free silver today. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Check with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Just a couple of weeks ago, they introduced a new TV show based on NCIS called 
NCIS Sydney. And I don't think anyone there looks like a space being, but I'd sure like to visit that place. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the 1860s, 70s, 80s, people seriously speculated that Australian uh, Aborigines had come from another planet. And as I said, in 1870, uh, this guy called Dufresne published, uh, presented his case that Australia had been an asteroid that had come from another planet, that had fallen into the Pacific Ocean, and that explains why everything is so weird there, the people, the flowers, the animals, and so on. But he did this with the excuse, I mean, as an excuse for white people, white settlers, to take the land from the original native inhabitants and turn them into slaves. So... As I said, I mean, we go back in time, it doesn't matter what period you choose, back at least to the 1820s, and people started interpreting weird phenomena as alien visitation and came to all these incredible theories, which we are just reinventing now. There was, uh, the other day I saw a theory on the Internet about how maybe humanity has, had arrived on Earth from Mars, which... I remember also reading in Ancient Skies, the Ancient Astronaut Society newsletter, when I was about 16 or 17. It hasn't just jumped from the, from the 1970s to now. But if you go back 100 years, 150 years, people were also saying that maybe humanity had come from Mars. So that's why I think that pop culture, although of course it's, it has had a big impact on our belief systems, it's a myth that we're interpreting what we see today through eyes uh, influenced by Star Trek and Luke Skywalker. A book came out in 1960, The Sky People by Brinsey Lepore Trench. Mm. And in that book, he spoke of Adam and Eve, Noah, and other characters in the Bible came from Mars. Mm hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, but but I think he was copying um, people from the 19th century too, because these were ideas that were being being published in the 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, 1910s, 1920s. He, this wasn't original in, in any sense. Uh, just this morning, I added um, something from 1881 to Volume 2 of, of, of Alien Artifacts, in which, again, they were talking about contact with Jupiter and how, I think it said something like Noah's children were exchanging animals with uh, the people of other planets in our solar system. Uh, there was There was commerce going on. One of the problems, of course, with that period is all the racism that was happening at the time, the idea of uh, white supremacy, which meant that uh, Adam and Eve, were that they looked like Scandinavians, they looked like Thor, they looked like Asgardians. A lot of the theories were that um, people of other colors, other races, to call it races these days, we shouldn't even say that word, uh, it's not technically correct, were from other planets. So the Chinese were from one planet, uh, Africans were from another planet, and that the perfect race would be the white Scandinavians represented by Adam and Eve. And, of course, these are terribly racist and, and awful theories, 
But that's what we find at the heart of, of um, the ancient aliens uh, hypothesis, uh, which is a shame because um, I've always I've always loved this idea that maybe aliens visited us in in prehistoric times, and I don't I don't rule it out even today. Well, unfortunately, in our society today, we have too much of this supremacist stuff, and it gets political. I don't want to get into that, but certainly. We can see the attitudes where this is why we have wars, disputes here. But you also would think if any of these others came here from other planets, that they'd be more advanced than us because they traveled to another world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, at the time, uh, people people were saying that. I mean, 150 years ago, they were saying that if aliens have come here, they they were much more advanced than us. We we are mere insects to them. You know, we're like monkeys to them. And um, yeah, I mean, all of the all of these ideas that that are so popular today, they were just common. You know, in the in the past, one of the reasons I'm publishing this series of books, where sources and alien artifacts and lots of others that I'm hoping to launch very soon, is to show that ufology really is it's a continuum that goes back probably 200 years. It's something that's been uninterrupted. It's it's an idea theory that that has been with us for a, a very, very long time. It's very difficult to find um, theories like, for example, as you say, the, the advanced nature of, of aliens who come to visit us, theories that, that, that are new. Uh, practically everything had been invented, you know, and, um, when Queen Victoria was on the throne. Yes. What, what kind of evolution are you seeing, though, with these beliefs, you know, with the beliefs from, say, like the 19th century up into the, the 21st century? Uh, I mean, you know, you, these sort of belief systems don't remain static. They evolve with time. How do you see the whole UFO mystery and phenomena and its interpretation evolving from here? Well, I think that what's going to happen is as we all get more used to artificial intelligence, we're going to suppose that alien visitors are not necessarily organic creatures at all. Um, we're going to start understanding that if, if um, alien visitation is truly happening, it's probably um, a, a, a group of, of um, artificially created and intelligent uh, beings that are, the, that are carrying out, which explains how they could traverse such enormous distances uh, through the cosmos. So I think that that's, that's how things are going to evolve uh, from now on. Um, I mean, a parallel project that I've had um, for a time is, is looking at how technology and the supernatural have overlapped uh, through history. So you go back in time and look at the radio, and as soon as the radio was invented, people started modifying their ideas about um, ghosts and angels, saying that that must be how they how they communicate, using radio waves. Um, even with the invention of the television, um, people were 
people immediately said, oh, well, this is clearly uh, how how spirits uh, interact with humans. They must have some kind of television system, and that's how they appear before us, and and so on. And we, we just find that throughout throughout history. So I'd say that now this massive uh, AI revolution that we're experiencing is bound to affect how we how we see alien visits and who knows uh, maybe maybe this time we'll be right you know i mean um if if people are visiting us from from other solar systems or other galaxies they are they're unlikely to be mortal as we are they would have to be um immortal beings and um and therefore maybe not organic at all when it comes to AI, of course, you think of the holodeck in Star Trek. And that's obviously using something like AI to produce an environment that to all intents and purposes in terms of human perception is absolutely real, like an alternate universe that you enter and exists within that chamber. You can shoot somebody and... Obviously, if they're just created holograms, it's not a problem. But if the hologram shoots you, obviously their protections there. But we can see the plot lines when those protections didn't work. Chris Aubeck, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz, you're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s dot com i had no idea it would destroy my life but before it happened i had a successful business in austin texas everyone laughed at me when i shut that business down but i could not ignore the wake-up call i was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school that project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now, before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. Are you a business owner? Are you confused by the complexity of the tax laws? We can help. I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been helping business owners solve tax problems for over 40 years. My book, The Small Business Tax Guide, shows proven ways to avoid all the common business tax problems. 
Don't risk your business. Go to danpilla.com to order your copy. That's danpilla.com. Order now and get a free 15-minute call directly with me, a $99 value. Go to danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. Advertising is simple. It starts with someone who has a need. Mom! And then gets more specific. Mom, I want pizza. Then we add urgency. I want pizza tonight. Before you know it, your GCN advertising message is reaching millions of listeners. Listeners who are definitely in need. We want pizza! You see, advertising on GCN is simple. Your message meets their need, and the result means new business for you. Tell us about your business. Then let our super creative department go to work to craft just the right message to feed those who have an urgent need. We want pizza tonight! GCN has the most affordable national radio advertising rates, period. And millions of people listen to GCN radio programs on over 1,000 AM and FM and XM stations and streaming audio live. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just shoot us an email, advertise at GCNlive.com. G'day, I'm Jamel that works with Dr. Joel Wallach and the GCN team with Longevity at TeamG'day.com. By becoming an associate, you provide income for you and your family on your own hours while working from home. So contact me, Jamel, by filling in the contact box at TeamG'day.com and I will get back to you personally and provide all the support you need to get started and build your Longevity business. TeamG'day.com. TeamG'day.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So going back, of course, to stories of ancient astronauts going back a couple of hundred years, what do you think is the reality, Chris? What really happened in so-called biblical times? Well, I've, I've looked into biblical UFOs or alleged biblical UFOs. One thing I'd like to mention is that this connection between Ezekiel and alien spaceships, that connection was made right at the beginning, just after Kenneth Arnold reported seeing his nine weird objects uh, floating through um, uh, Washington State. People immediately saw the connection between Ezekiel and his objects. So I think that um, we do have a tendency to to reinterpret the Bible um, through space-age eyes today. I haven't really been convinced by any uh, arguments that, that the Bible contains UFO stories. But on the other hand, uh, there's absolutely no way to tell what what people saw in, in, uh, you know, in that period. But it was ancient aliens that uh, brought me into this field when I was a young teenager. And so I'm, I still hope that, that one day we'll find evidence of it. Uh, this is a point I also make in Alien Artifacts. I think that we should reject a lot of the nonsense that's being spouted about um, aliens in, in ancient civilizations and, and start looking for, for real evidence of it because um, the Earth is a very old planet. Anything could have happened here in, in ancient times. I, I, I just don't think that we found evidence of it yet. That was going to be my question. Is there anything out there that you think could possibly 
point to some kind of of ancient aliens, not including you know the pyramids or you know ancient structures which people were more than capable of being able to build. But you know, I think it's some of these you know like um, petroglyphs that have been found that seems to show some you know really bizarre types of of beings, things like that. Mm, well, you know, petroglyphs are very open to interpretation. There's absolutely mm-hmm. no way to know what they what they really mean. I did write a book um, with a Spanish historian uh, called uh, Juanjo Sanchez Oro who, um, about Uparts. And the book is actually called Uparts, Out of Place Artifacts. And we have several chapters about 19th century, the typical Upart, which was when they found um, a, a golden chain, for example, in a piece of coal or and that kind of thing, a nail in a, inside a stone. And we look at those those stories. I'm not exactly sure uh, how to interpret them. I do know that most of them are fake. Um, they were made during a period in which people wanted to show that North America had a, a golden age and antiquity comparable to, to, to Europe because there was a time when European scholars would say, our dinosaur fossils are bigger than yours. And in North America, they'd say, no, we have more gigantic thigh bones from far bigger dinosaurs than you have in Europe. And there was this competition going on. Anyway, um, that was a period in which lots of Upart stories were invented. But since we've published that book, I was approached by um, a Russian soldier who sent me photographs of what looks very much like a piece of woven fabric, even perhaps manufactured fabric, inside a lump of amber, which had been dated to millions of years ago. And it made me think. I mean, there's no reason why, in, in my view, why we why we couldn't find a, a genuine upart even today, a genuine out-of-place artifact. So, again, I think that it's a question of, of educating people, of, of saying to them, look, um, don't be afraid to come forward with your finds. If you find something weird, you know, get it out there publish it, tell people about it. Um, I think it's a great period for that too, because these days anyone can 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 write about what they what they've have. Everyone anyone can take a photo with their mobile phone, put it online. Of course, then we we become victims to disinformation at the same time. There's just no way out of that, unfortunately. But um, I'm my mind is is completely open to to that possibility that we'll find something. Well, of millions of years of modern Earth history, as opposed to being billions of years old, we could see possibly there were advanced civilizations way back when, like in Atlantis or Lemuria. That's, of course, what the Schaefer stories were based on, that something happened, conditions became bad, and most of these early people left the planet. Yeah, there were lots of stories um, like that. I, I personally don't believe in Atlantis. A lot of people do. That's that's fine. But I do, of course, believe in uh, lost civilizations because, I mean, the, the Earth is extremely old. There have been lots of people that we'll never know about. I, I hope that we, that we find remnants that they left behind. And um, it'll be very exciting if we do find something uh, advanced 
at some archaeological layer that we can that we can point to and say, look, all these authors from the 1960s and 70s, maybe they were right about something after all. Except for the hollow earth. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, when I think of Opart, and, and the favorite favorite subject of mine, I always think about the um, the South African. Or, uh, I can't remember if they were metallic or stone metallic balls that had the grooves that were etched. Two, usually they had two grooves uh, etched right in the middle of the balls. And they found, you know, like more than just a couple over the years. And see, you know, to me, something like that, I mean, that's that's a fa- that's a favorite one. Yeah, they're, they're, they're called the clock stop. Uh, there you go. Clock dorp spheres, in fact. That's what they were. I, yeah, I could never try. I could never attempt to pronounce that. <laughs> yeah, they were they were found near Ottersdal in 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 South Africa. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting question. I mean, what do they mean? There are lots of stories about them, about how they seem to rotate in museum cases and, and mm. you know, sort of behind behind glass and so on. But then there are lots of um, counter arguments too uh, to show that they were natural formations and about how the stories about them moving in glass cabinets uh, seem to coincide with roadworks going on outside at that time so um, again uh, I don't know what what all of that means but I mean there there is a geological explanation of of their origin which i think we could um we we, we should at least know um i think that um anyone interested in these subjects has to research them you know quite quite deeply because i get bombarded also in facebook with so many pictures of of strange artifacts from the past and so on and um I make it my business to find out what what these artifacts uh, originally were. Do a reverse image search in Google, and you end up um, getting very surprised that what they say about them online has nothing to do with reality. Anyway, we've got some reality here with Chris, Gene, and Tim, or we're trying. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD.
USA News Update. Topping the news this half hour, a third group of Israeli hostages expected to be released at some point today. On Saturday, after a long delay, a second group of 13 Israelis let go by Hamas and four people from Thailand also set free. Women and children in this group transported to hospitals in Israel for treatment. Now, we understand one woman reportedly in her 20s having surgery. Unclear the specifics of the operation. Hamas had complained earlier in the day about the number of shipments coming into Gaza and about which prisoners Israel was releasing. Leaders in Egypt and Qatar involved in brokering this four-day ceasefire, which is clearly fragile, resolving the issue. And hours later, the Israeli hostages were released. And so far, no Americans on the list. President Biden monitoring developments from Nantucket, where he spent Thanksgiving. And I'm Laura Winters, USA News. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline. Airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. It's obvious the unthinkable continues. Most Americans know something very wrong is happening. People in charge keep telling you that everything's fine and to stop noticing. But you know better. That's why self-reliant folks are investing in emergency food storage. And you should, too. My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company, are the ones you can trust. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $200 on each three-month food kit you purchase. My Patriot Supply also sells solar generators, gravity-powered water filters, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship that same day and arrive quickly on your doorstep in unmarked boxes. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today. Time is running out to prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com Tormey, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Speaking of which, trying to figure out what happened 200 years ago, what happened 2,000 years ago. You know, such as a speculation that maybe E.T. visited us a couple thousand years ago or some advanced beings of some sort. We can't agree what happened yesterday. Really? I mean, That's true. We can't agree what happened yesterday or three hours ago. How is it possible that we could figure out what happened a few hundred years ago even? Forget about 2,000 years. That's true. You know, I, uh, I published a book with an English-British uh, researcher called uh, Martin Schoff uh, called um, Return to Magonia, where we present uh, 22 cases and we do a deep, 
scientific uh, analysis of these cases. This isn't for any old um, UFO reader. This is for people who are really interested in getting deep into every case and we look at scientific explanations and so on. And it's interesting because you can use digital um, sort of observatories, uh, plans of the sky, uh, of the constellations. You can calculate where the stars were, where the moon was at any given hour in Earth's history. So when you do find a historical report of someone who says, well, the moon wasn't there when I saw this weird rectangular object over the horizon, you can actually get down to, to that detail. You can find out whether it was true that from the perspective of his window the moon wasn't visible that night so it is possible to do to do good historical research in fact many of the cases that we looked at in return to magonia you could research probably a lot better than you can do with uh, with modern modern cases so you know it is it is possible to do research then of course um, what i do in in alien artifacts and sources is that i trace the evolution uh, of all of these these uh, phenomena over time people's opinions of it and so on and so you can get back to, at least to to find out what the man in the street uh, thought about the about the weird phenomena the, that he would have seen. So um, you can do real history, you can reach conclusions, but it takes a lot of work, and that's why these these books have have taken about twenty years to do. <laughs> what about the eighteen ninety seven airships? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. In fact, uh, it starts in 1896, and you can even go back a couple of years too with the odd sighting here and there. This is an interesting subject, and one of the volumes of my uh, ancient uh, alien artifact series will 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 look into this very deeply. The interesting thing is the the bottom line is the original sighting was a hoax. Most of the sightings were hoaxes, and they were all based on an, uh, an airship uh, story published in uh, like 20 years before, which was also a hoax. However, because so many people believed it, because so many people were going outside in their gardens, in the street, looking up at night, there are lots of genuine UFO sightings at the same time. And this is what, what saves the whole airship wave. So we we need to we need to forget about these elaborate stories of of ships with wooden sails and what have you flying over American cities. We have to sort of forget about those about these weird encounters with with beings dressed in in fur skins and so on. We know that they were that they that they were fake. You can trace the origins of most of these. However, among all of that data there were lots of very interesting UFO reports. And um, I, I hope that's what's going to happen now, actually, now that uh, UFOs have become popular again. People are going to go out and start looking for them. And they will see things, and they will genuinely see strange things in the sky. So that's what happened. That's what happened in the, in the great airship wave. It didn't even stop uh, in um, 1897. It just carried on. So... You have uh, 1898, 1899, people reporting 
airship crashes with with Martian corpses. They called them Martian. They were simply extraterrestrial or very strange-looking beings that are, that that had either been ejected by these giant machines as they crashed down into into onto farms, or simply they just fell from the sky, sometimes into a river. Uh, but you find lots of stories of, of alien bodies, even into the first decades of the 20th century. So, um, yeah, it's a very fascinating period. Well, and they weren't exclusive to the United States either. You know, I was thinking about the uh, early 20th century, the uh, scare ships in uh, Great Britain uh, that, mm-hmm. that went on. So, I mean, this was this was something that was occurring at various locations around the globe. That's true. And then we have New Zealand, too, and lots of other places. But they weren't occurring simultaneously. Right. And that's that. That's important. Actually, that's that's one of the things I have to keep telling people who who believe in ancient astronauts, because they say, "Well, look at the pyramids in Egypt. Look at the pyramids in in Mexico." And I say, "Well, the ones in Mexico, some of them are just uh, a thousand years old, and in Egypt, they're they're many thousands of years old. These didn't all appear simultaneously. So it's true that that there were lots of waves, airship waves, in many different places, but not simultaneously. And that's that's important. That's why these books are important to to sort of put everything. In, in its place. But then we go back to medieval times. Um, this is also in, in my Alien Artifact series. We find um, stories of strange ships appearing over London, over Ireland, Scotland, and then you have the crew members who come out of the of the ship. In, in some of the legends, the, the locals jump on top of the crew member and kill him. Then there are other more elaborate stories about uh, how they they. They dive over the over the edge of the ship and try to catch a fish, or their anchors get get stuck on a on a church doorway and and all this kind of thing. So um, it was a very popular popular kind of story. Actually, the the earliest um, UFO case that was at that time interpreted as extraterrestrial was in um, 1857, and it it happened in Ohio. And in a little village called Jay, which uh, no longer exists, and there's a little book called uh, The Magic Monitor that was published in 1857, talking about how the neighbors uh, in this tiny town called Jay had come out of their houses and seen a ship floating floating over the rooftops. And the the man who wrote this book said, well, I believe uh, these, were, these were aliens. I believe that um, this ship was full of mechanical appendages which worked with a precision and a degree of beauty never yet attained by any mechanical skill upon this planet. And he said that the crew would have been aliens on a visit of pleasure or exploration or some other cause. And he even says that thousands of such cases uh, were already on record. I went to Ohio um, in uh, 2014, and I located where this village would have been, and um, it was very nice to actually see it. But anyway, 1857, the earliest UFO case in North America uh, that was interpreted as an extraterrestrial visit, and uh, that's uh, chapter 12 of my book, Alien Artifacts. You're talking there about an early image of robotic technology. 
Yeah, maybe. Could be. The the actual uh, crew members, apparently, according to the to the witnesses, were, were giants, uh, probably about 12 feet tall, which was a very popular um, uh, sort of size of, of alien at that time, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's fascinating to think that in, you know, uh, Charles Dickens, Emily Bronte, uh, any of the great writers of the 19th century, um, the period of Abraham Lincoln, any of these people could have uh, picked up a newspaper and seen a story about um, crashed UFOs, UFO sightings, aliens, ancient and ancient astronauts, um, and we, you know, it just seems so, so, so crazy to think that uh, famous presidents of the past could have been very easily exposed to to UFO ideas that we normally think are, are completely new. What is new is old again. What's old is new again. Who knows? Chris, Gene, Tim, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Hi, this is Sophie Winnick, longtime distributor and user of Longevity products. In the last few years, my family went through a crisis. Everything else in my life, including my business, had to be put on the back burner. Thankfully, life is getting back to normal now. But the one thing I never had to worry about was my business and my monthly commission. I've been a distributor for Longevity for over 17 years, since before it was Longevity. And I've got to say, the most amazing thing about this company is the people. While my family was in crisis, other distributors stepped in and helped my customers simply because that's what longevity people do, even for people they don't know. For me, it has never been about getting rich. It was about a product I could stand behind, a company I could count on, and a monthly commission check that has never not once been late in 17 years. Longevity is truly a business for everyone, even people who have too much to do. I'm Sophie Winnick. I'm just like you. I have a real life, real ups and downs, but I know I will always have longevity. Have you ever watched a video on the internet and found yourself waiting for the skip the ad button? The reason this takes a few seconds is because the video delivery companies get to collect impression commission, and the viewer never sees the advertisement. The company still pays full price to run the ad. Does this sound like a scam to you? Is there any wonder why internet ads are so ineffective? For over 100 years, radio has been a proven source for companies' messages. 
Radio listeners are engaged and want to support the companies that sponsor the shows they're so passionate about. Simple companies like window treatments, security, pillow companies, and more have been able to break away from the big box stores, building multi-million dollar businesses. Find out what radio can do for your business. Call 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. That's advertise at GCNlive.com. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. This is Be the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. Amazing that UFO lore can be traced back so far and forgotten. And I just think here, as you were talking about possibilities of ancient civilizations, about previous stories about UFOs, aliens, technology interpreted at the level of the time, a thousand years from now, our civilization is gone and new civilizations arise. 10,000 years, 50,000, whatever. How much of what we have done will be remembered? Well, remember nothing. There won't be anybody who will be able to remember it. There'll I mean, in terms of, of rel- what the pieces of it, yes. Yeah, I'm sure people will find uh, pieces pieces of our civilization. They won't know how to interpret it. Since I was a kid, I love walking along the road in, a, in, a, in any town, and I look around and I think, wow, if this, if this object, if this litter bin uh, were preserved in a block of rock and found you know, hundreds of or thousands of years from now, what would they have said? They, they might have said that this was a place where we would put our prisoners and torture them inside these large um, metal containers. This is the problem. How, I mean, how, how do you interpret the past? Um, how do you interpret um, our own artifacts in the future or alien artifacts if they arrive on Earth or, or anything from the past? It's very important to preserve the written word One of the problems that we have to understand petroglyphs and uh, some religious paintings, in fact, is that there there are no documents uh, explaining what those objects were or what those paintings uh, depicted. I do worry sometimes about this because... If you look back at the past, great authors, everyone from uh, Charles Dickens, Shakespeare, Whitman, whoever, we actually have access to a lot of their own writings and, um, in many cases, their own letters and correspondence. But these days, 
unless when you die, someone gets your email password, hmm. everything that you've written has disappeared for future generations. And it'll be very, very difficult to piece together your history, your biography, once you've gone. I have a feeling that uh, that's going to be a problem in, in, in the future. I think that um, a time capsule is a good idea to preserve parts of our civilization as long as it's accompanied by plenty of text. Well, it does seem here that the kind of technologies we use to communicate are so disposable. I mean, even if they're recorded digitally, we change formats. Like, I think now of the documents I create maybe 30 years ago, right now, mm -hmm. a lot of those documents can't be read because the software used has changed its file format. Okay, Microsoft Word will work. But what about the floppy disks? I had hundreds of floppy disks from my earlier work. Okay, find me a floppy disk drive somewhere. Okay, <laughs> will they even last? Because floppy disks were very, very, as they say, short-lived. Yeah, I've lost a lot even, of stuff from floppy disks myself. I know exactly what you're saying. So the consideration here is if someone does recover our technology tens of thousands of years from now, how would they be able to even read what we did? That always goes back to Richard Shaver's rock books. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the, one of the arguments against the ancient aliens hypothesis is that if they were so advanced, why did they make everything from stone or why did they carve things into stone? I mean, there are two arguments uh, there to sort of say, well, what we have, what, what has remained is made of stone because if it had been made of anything else, we would never have got to see it. And on the other hand, if you did ever want to leave a message for future generations, stone is not a bad medium to leave it in. I'm not saying that any of the evidence that we've ever found uh, supports that notion, but it wouldn't be surprising to discover that certain evidence of ancient aliens or civilizations were, uh, you know, was in, in stone makes me think of a book that I read years ago called The Motel at the End of Time. And it was a, it was a sort of a satirical book about a, I think it was like a Holiday Inn that was found 2,000 years from now that had been buried in a volcanic eruption. And the interpretations of the common items, sort of based on how we interpret ancient artifacts now, are pretty hilarious, like the uh, the lid of a toilet seat was interpreted as like a, a collar and headdress for religious ceremonies and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's I, I, I think that, you know, we need to consider how we interpret these ancient artifacts based on modern ideals of how we think that the ancients lived and how future generations will think how we lived. Yeah, I completely agree about about that, of course, yeah. I, I do hope that at some time we'll, we'll find some real evidence, some serious evidence, that we were visited in ancient times. Maybe ironically, we were visited in ancient times and, and haven't been visited since. I mean, who knows? Going back to your book, Saucers, if the saucer shape is only less than 5% of reported sightings, what is the predominant shape that is being seen? It's, it's mainly spheres. 
Hmm. That's an interesting uh, question because when people see a sphere that's directly overhead, it would be very easy to interpret that as a disk. It would look like a disc. That's something that um, that Jacques Vallée once once pointed out to me. It's also possible that people have seen spheres and thought that they were discs at some point. You know, I mean, there's that. You know, uh, Kenneth Arnold had many sightings apart from his original one uh, that most people have completely forgotten about. So um, I have a whole chapter in in sources just about his other sightings because he's what you would call a, a repeater in that sense. He, he was a frequent UFO sighter. And uh, it's interesting that uh, the number of sightings that he said he had had did change over the years. There was a point in which he told people that that he'd seen 11 UFOs well, on 11 different occasions. But the catalogue of his sightings that, that I've published in, in sources show that at least eight about eight times he saw uh, UFOs. When I spoke to Kim Arnold, his daughter, she wasn't really aware of, of many of these cases herself. You really have to dig very deep in, into the archives to, to find them, and I think I've got them all. The interesting thing, actually, is that on, on July the 4th, 1950, there was an article published that said that Ken's wife, Doris, has also seen flying saucers and she agrees with her husband that the whirling disks are interplanetary mm-hmm. and i think that no one's ever found that before the fact that the kenneth arnold's wife had actually seen uh, flying saucers herself we're going to continue with a lot of this discussion in our after the paracast podcast for paracast plus subscribers meantime chris Arbeck, for those who want to know more about the things you do where can they check you out site or something Right, so uh, I don't currently have a website, but if anyone would like to contact me through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or write to me, my email address is at the back of all the books I publish, which is a C-A-U-B-E-C-K, that's Chris, and then Orbeck, all together without a dot or a, or a dash, at gmail.com. I'd be very interested to hear from them. Plus the fact that uh, my research group, Magonia Exchange, is still growing strong after 20 years, over 20 years now. And if anyone would like to join, it's completely free, and they'll receive what everybody else does. When any of the members of the group find something interesting, a UFO case from the past, we share it immediately, and that way we've we've managed to gather between 40 and 50,000 cuttings over the years so i would really encourage people to to take part in that you can find us on x you go on threads on facebook we're known as the paracast you can check out branded merchandise at the paracast.shop this includes four separate logos to choose from for the various t-shirts and things you want to order the paracast.shop don't forget the paracast plus Visit the Plus for more information. We give you the After the Paracast podcast. Exclusive bonus. You never know what's going to happen next on After the Paracast. We give you this show without the network ads, better quality audio. To learn more, go to the Plus. The Plus. You can sign up in a minute. The Plus. Chris Aubeck, we'd like you back for at least 100 hours. Thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you very much for having me.
the Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs>